journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov on this sunny but very cold Johannesburg morning. I hope everybody had a wonderful weekend. A safe weekend while we're sitting in the surge of our third wave. Best we stay home and what better way to stay at home but to sit and learn Torah together. And so it is my pleasure that we, we are with each other for the next three quarters of an hour while we take a trip into the Bible. We are studying the book of Genesis. We're in chapter 29 and we're at the point where Jacob has finally, finally arrived at Incharan, to the city, to the country, to the place where his parents have asked him to go back to. That is really where Abraham and Sarah came from and where Rivka, his mother, came from as well. And he's out to look for a wife and he arrives at the well and he beholds Rachel, the daughter of Lavan, who is his mother's brother. Essentially, they were cousins. Um, and we ended off last time with the fact that he introduces himself and uh, he moves away the well, the, the stone on the well, to allow the the um, the sheep of Lavan to drink water. And then it says he kisses her and he weeps aloud because it was that at that point in time that um, he actually proposes to her. And he sees a whole lot of prophetic things which we discussed last time. We're going to pick up on verse 12 again chapter 29 it's the parsha of Vayetze. Obviously uh, Rachel is now super excited that uh, that that Yaakov has, has rocked up so what does she do? Vayaged Yaakov le Rachel Yaakov tells Rachel ki achi aviha that he was related to her father, Vehi ben Rifkahu, and that he was the son of Rifka. And so what does she do? Vitarat Vataged La Aviha. She runs to tell her father. So eventually um, what transpires is that Yaakov says, Look, I'm your father's nephew, and I'm actually here to marry one of his daughters. Now this is all discussed in the Midrash. Rachel says to him, oh, you won't be able to deal with my father because he's the biggest swindler around. Um, to which Yaakov replies, according to the Midrash, I'm a better swindler for he cannot hurt me. For God has promised me that he will be with me and I would like you to be my wife. Well, that was the quickest proposal there was on the planet Immediately, uh, Rachel replies, I accept your proposal, but I have an older sister who my father wants to marry your first, and I'm afraid that he will be tricking you um, into marrying her. So he replies again, and implicit in this discussion is, Achi Aviha, who that I am, uh, your, your, your father and I are brothers, meaning that I know how to act act with him. I know the mishpocha. I know exactly how to 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 work around Lavan. But he does do two other things. Uh, he gives Yaakov gives Rachel a secret password, so that he would be able to recognize her in the dark. 
Um, and he also teaches her certain things of how, how to behave. And with that, he was sure that once he gave her those signs, he would recognize her on their wedding day. Rachel was a little bit worried, nevertheless, and she said, do tzaddikim, you're supposed to be a tzaddik, you're supposed to be a righteous person. Do you um, also behave dishonestly? So he quotes a verse that actually comes out of Samuel. You can look at Samuel, the second book of Samuel, chapter 22, verse 27. It says, with a saint you shall act saintly, and with a crook you have to behave crookedly. Meaning, what he was saying was, no, that, that he wasn't going to become a swindler like the rest of them, but if Lavan tries to cheat, cheat me, then I will do the same just as well as he. If he treats me fairly, I will be honest with him. Um, and so what he does, his cheat, so to speak, is that he gives Rachel a secret password and certain behaviors that will allow him to recognize her on the night of the wedding. Of course, we all know that the, that was a fail-proof system, but uh, Rachel feeling bad for her sister when eventually the the swindling does take place and Leah goes and marries Yaakov. Instead, she actually gives those things to Leah. Nevertheless, that is the way that they decided, um, well, rather that Yaakov decided he will know and he will be able to recognize uh, Rachel. Now, obviously, she runs to go and tell her father, where is her mother? Normally, a daughter would run to tell her mother. We're told that, in fact, uh, Rachel's mother was no longer alive, and so her only option was to go and tell her swindling father, Lavon, whom she had married. Now, remember Lavon. When Lavon heard about Eliezer coming, well, Rivka had come to tell her mother, the news, Lavan, her brother, overheard, and he ran as quick as he could to um, to 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 go and see who this Eliezer was. Why? Because he wanted to pilfer. He wanted to take all the money um, and jewels and camels that was laden um, with Eliezer. So when Lavan hears now, now being the father. When Laban hears the news of his nephew Yaakov, he does the same thing. He runs He runs to greet him. And he is unbelievably um, emotionally demonstrative. He hugs him. And he kisses him. And he brings Jacob to his house. He then goes and tells to Lavan, Yaakov tells to Lavan everything that transpired. Wow, wow, wow. Would one actually think that uh, Lavan had become this all-encompassing lovey-dovey? Actually not. The Midrash goes and says, that he had already heard that Yaakov was he had a, was strong and intelligent. He also had heard via the news that he had gained the birthright and his father's blessing. He had also heard that a God had appeared to him in Beit El and that he moved the stone from the well on one, one hand and the water had risen to greeting him. So he ran as fast as he could to, to Yaakov 
Why? Because he figured, oh, look at this guy. He's one of those religious ones, one of those very naive saintly guys. He'll be an easy mark for me. And obviously he rushes out with glee and um, he thinks that Yaakov has arrived in the same state that Eliezer had arrived. Um, and when he sees that Yaakov is, as we say in the South Africanism, Stokalian, he was just by himself. He was empty handed. He hugged him, not because he loved him. He hugged him because that way he could pat Yaakov's pockets to see if he was carrying any precious stones. And when he didn't find that, he started kissing him on both cheeks because he was trying to determine if they were hiding jewels in his mouth. And when he found nothing, alas, he was um, quite disappointed. He just decided to bring Yaakov home and he would allow Yaakov to explain why he was fleeing from his brother and why all his property had been stolen along the way. We're going for a little bit of a break. Be back soon. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back, and I'm Adel Kozilski, and we are discussing Genesis chapter 29. We're on verse 13, and we're discussing how that wicked, that uh, good-for-nothing Lavan, again, shows his true colors, tries to work out where's all the money, where's everything it can inherit, and again, he becomes very, very disappointed and has no option but to bring Yaakov, to bring Jacob back to the house. If you have any questions or you'd like, or any comments that you'd like to share, 34519 is our SMS line, 0618951019, our telegram number. So basically, Yaakov comes back and tells him how he was uh, uh, pillaged by Eliphaz, Asaph's son, on his way. Um, he gave up absolutely everything, but that in fact he had come because they're mishpacha, they're family, and he's here to 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 marry his daughter. Verse fourteen, Vayomer lo Lavan. So Lavan says to him, quite disappointingly, but nevertheless says to him, Ach atzmi uvesari ata. You are my flesh and you are my blood. Vayeshevimo, Chodesh Yamim, stay with me for a month. Basically, what he said is, really, I don't necessarily have any obligation to you if you were a stranger, but because you are family, stay with a month and let's see how things work out. Now, Yaakov agreed to board there because he wanted to get to know Rachel and Leah, and see if they were God-fearing. And a month would have been sufficient for that. And um, during this month that Yaakov stayed with Lavan, he landed up getting a job of tending his sheep. Remember that we said last week that why was Rachel looking after his sheep when Rachel was allegedly very young? And that was simply because Lavan had swindled every other shepherd. Um, and now Yaakov takes that position even though he does not get, he doesn't get paid the going wage for shepherds, he gets paid with only half the wage. Um, one of the other things that I want to bring over here that is actually brought in other common, commenta- uh, commentaries is that we're going to be talking now about the fact 
that Yaakov negotiates marriage with Lavan. And on the words, Ach atzmi uvesari, but you are my flesh and you are my blood. Uh, the commentators tell us that in fact, when it comes to marriage, there are in fact three partners, not two. The obvious ones is the male and the female, the two spouses, the husband and the wife. But in Judaism, we see marriage as a three-way partnership in that God himself is involved in this partnership. And it's based on these two words, atzmi uvisari, my, my flesh and my blood. It says that the father um, donates to the marriage, and this is talking about the creation of a child. He creates, the, he, 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 he gives the white, the bone, or the sperm of, um, of, of, of the child. The mother represents the red, the blood of the child. And it is God who comes in as the third partner and gives life to the child. And everything that we are going to learn henceforth in this chapter actually um, has a tremendous effect on the way that we, uh, we play out a Jewish wedding uh, today in modern times and in times gone by. A lot of lessons are learned from, uh, from, from, from this chapter. And it's, it's good to see that as we go along, we actually pick up certain ideas about marriage. This being one of them, that there are in fact three partners in a marriage and that a man and woman will donate various parts to the child, but it is God himself that gives life to the child. So, Yaakov lands up staying there. Um, understand that Yaakov had, had a tremendous amount of miracles happened to him until he got to Lavon. And uh, he was encouraged by that, that he would be able to su- uh, sustain the, the negativity of Lavon and keep him at bay while he was there. Just very quickly for those um, who haven't been following the, fo- the, the previous podcast, the five miracles that happened to Yaakov on this journey was that Number one, the day was shortened because the sun uh, and the sun set set before its time. You remember because God wanted to speak to him about on Mount Moriah. We know that space was contracted and he traveled from Hebron to Haran in an instant when it took a couple of days. We know that the stones above his head that he put um, put around him on Har Hamaria, he's, um, they united and they became one. We saw now when he arrived at the well that he managed to move a huge boulder, and even though he was very strong, this such strength was beyond the bounds of human capability, and it was obviously miraculous. And, of course, that the water rose and overflowed from the sides of the well, as we read last week, and that remained like this for all 20 years that he stayed in Haran. So Yaakov stays there with Lavan and tends to his sheep for the month. Then what happens? Verse 15. Vayomer Lavan le Yaakov. Lavan says to Yaakov, Hachi achiati a'ata. Listen, you are my relative. Va'avadatam chinam. And it does not mean that you should work for me for free. Remember, we said that he was only getting a half wage. Hagidali ma maskurtecha. Name your wage. Tell me, since you're not receiving a full wage, 
It is considered as if you're not earning anything. That's not what I want from you. Let's decide on a wage. Like, what are you planning? What do you want? Tell me exactly so that we can be clear. Yaakov replies to him, you think I came here to make money. Well, you're wrong. I came here because the only thing I want to do is marry your daughters. For Hashem has granted me permission to marry them both, even though they are two sisters. Now, this is quite a complicated discussion because there are various opinions. One opinion is that Leah was the older of the two. There was Leah and there was Rachel. In fact, there were another two sisters, Bila and Zilpah. The only difference between Leah and Rachel and Bila and Zilpah was that they came from different mothers. Leah and Rachel were from one mother, from the wife of Lavan, and the other two were from his his concubines, which in those days we knew that you were allowed to uh, to have concubines. And so, in fact, in truth, from from the father perspective, he had four daughters. And really, at the end, we see that Yaakov marries all four of 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 the daughters. But for the purposes of our discussion now, we are told, Ule Lavan Shte Banot. Lavan had two daughters. Shame Hagadola Leah, Beshame Hakatana Rachel. The older one's name was Leah, the younger one was Rachel. Now, not only were they of different ages, according to one opinion, the reason why they are called the older one, the bigger one, and the smaller one, Okay, um, is because we know that Leah landed up um, giving having descendants that were were um, kings and prophets and priests and judge and and leaders. Rachel was the younger one, or literally it means the smaller one, because Yosef and uh, Saul, uh, the two uh, the two kings that would descend from her did not reign for very long. Leah, on the other hand, was eventually the great-great-grandmother of King David and all the other kings of Judah, and she was also the great-great-great-grandmother of Moshe, of Samuel, of Yeshayahu, and so um, she was called the Gedola, the greater one, literally the greater one, simply because her descendants would have a lasting influence, a much greater influence than Rachel. Bila and Zilpah, as we said, were Laban's daughters from his concubines, from his common, common law wife, um, and they were therefore treated in those days more like servants, um, although they were in fact sisters, but they do also give rise to the Jewish people and have um, various of the tribes. But if we take all four daughters, we know that uh, Leah was in fact the oldest one. There was a problem, however. Verse 17. Leah's eyes were tender. Rachel was beautiful and was good looking. And that's the, the way the Torah describes, and it, it seems to be quite a um, strange way to describe the two girls. Why was why talk about Leah's eyes 
and then about the beauty of Rachel. So as we said before, we, we, it says that, um, Leah heard people talking and the talk was, Le- uh, Lavan had two daughters. His sister Rivka had two sons. The older boy would marry the older girl and the younger boy would get the younger girl. And it seemed that in heaven there was some type of agreement about that, meaning that Yaakov would marry Rachel and Esav would marry Leah. But as Leah grew older, she began to inquire and she discovered that Esav was, as we've learned, a notorious criminal, while Yaakov was a tzaddik. He was a saint. And fearing that she would have to marry Esav, she wept. She wept so much, her eyes became very sensitive and weak, and she fasted and she prayed, says the Midrash, until um, so that her fate should be spared. Um, and therefore, that's why the Torah tells us about Leah's eyes. It's not trying to tell us about Leah's medical history. It's teaching us that Leah wept and wept, says the Midrash, until her eyelashes fell out. Um, she did, she wanted anything but to be the wife of the wicked Asaph. Rachel, on the other hand, was carefree. She knew she belonged to Asaph. She knew that that was her destiny and she simply was known as one of the most beautiful, uh, girls around. More than that, Vayehav Yaakov et Rachel. Yaakov had fallen in love with Rachel and therefore coming back to the discussion with Lavan, what does he say? I will work for you for seven years. Who? Barachel Bitcha Hakatana. For Rachel, your daughter, the small, the younger one. Remember? He said, I am just as a good swindler as your father. I will uh, negotiate with him on his basis. He was very, very clear. I'm going to work for you seven years. For who? For Rachel. Not any Rachel. Not any Rachel you will find on the street. Rachel Bitcha. Rachel, your daughter. And if you're going to try swindle me out of any daughter, it's Bitcha Hakatana. Your small daughter. I'm being very clear about who it is that I, I'm being very, very specific. I don't want you to change the name of your older daughter to Rachel. I don't want you to get anybody off the street. I know your tricks. I'm being very clear. Rachel, your daughter, the youngest one. Um, now basically, uh, what happened was that Leah understood that. And that made her very, very upset. Some, by the way, some Mepharashim hold that Rachel and Leah were twins as much as Esav and Yaakov. Now, why would Yaakov go and negotiate? Why would Yaakov negotiate the fact that he wants to work for seven years? Um, you know, that's a very, very long time. So there's a few uh, reasons given. One reason holds that in fact, uh, Rachel was only five years old at the time. If you recall last week when we spoke about the fact that she was the only girl, shepherdess, that came, um, and that 
um, the reason why Lavan sent her was because she was not mature yet, and therefore the shepherds would not look upon her in any uh, lustful way. Uh, the Midrash holds that she was five years old. So the reason why he says, I'll work for you for seven years is that um, he wanted to wait until she had turned 12. As we know, 12 is the year that uh, we celebrate the bat mitzvah of a girl. We celebrate the fact that a girl has come into maturity and um, that is when she will be able, obviously, also to bear children. And so that was his calculation, that she was five years old at the time. Others hold that they weren't, that they were actually born at the time that Yaakov received the blessing, which means that they were 22 years old. So the reason why seven years is given is there's another two reasons. One, that Yaakov wanted to give Esav substantial time to um, do tshuva, to repent, and to take Leah as his rightful wife. He wanted to give um, Esav enough time. The other is is that seven years is a cycle as we know it, and that this was a time to allow Yaakov to reach a higher level of, saintl- of, of saintliness and um, tzitkus, as we say, and he needed that time to work on himself. And that is why he set seven years as the prescribed time for him to wait to be married to Rachel. We're off to an ad break. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back, and uh, we are listening to the negotiations of Yaakov and Lavan. If you have any questions, 34519 or 061-895-1019. What do you think about all of these negotiations? Do you believe that they are important? Or what, you know, do you believe that people should just be free to marry whoever without any investigation? I'd love to know your Thoughts following the negotiation we're talking about now. We're on verse 19 of chapter 29. Vayomer Lavan. So Lavan says, Tov titi ota lach, mimeni ota leishacher shava imadi. Better that I should give her to you than to another man remain with me. You know, he didn't, he didn't really answer indirectly. He didn't say, yes, I'm going to allow you to marry Rachel. He answered ambiguously because he was hoping to trick Yaakov. Because really, what was he looking at? He was saying, you know what? You know what, Yaakov? You're nothing better than a beggar. Rachel is very beautiful. I could marry him off to the richest man. But it's better that I give her to you than to another. So remain with me. And this way I can force... To remain here, I, you, I can force, uh, force to remain here with me. And if she marries a wealthy man, then you know we will take her whatever he desires, and we'll, we'll we'll make a plan. So he didn't really, really answer Yaakov directly. Say yes, deal. Let's put it down on paper. You can marry Rachel. He said, you know what? It's better I give her, her being ambiguous, um, to another man. Stay with me. In his head. He was still negotiating who it is that he could, uh, 
he could he he could marry Rachel too because she was she was very beautiful. Ve'yavod Yaakov berachel shevashanim. Yaakov worked for Rachel seven years. Ve'yihiu be'enav kiyamim achadim ba'ahavato ota. But it seemed just like a few days. So so much did he love her. Now this sounds all lovey-dovey and sounds really wonderful, but actually the opposite should be true. Um, if Yaakov loved her so much, it should have seemed like many years. You know, when a young man is engaged, every every day seems like a year. But it says that Yaakov didn't concentrate um, only and solely on Rachel. He concentrated on his work. He threw himself into the work. And therefore, and because he worked so diligently, and he worked from sunrise to to nightfall, um, the days went very, very quickly. And it felt as if he worked for only a few days, albeit it was for seven years. Vayomer Yaakov el-Lavan, Yaakov then comes to Lavan, and he says, Hava et ishti, my... um." Give me my bride, Himalu Yamai, my term is complete, Ve'avoa Elecha, so that I may marry her. Now, do you know how old Yaakov was at this point in time? He was a whopping 84 years old. He knew that God had promised him 12 sons, and that he would, that, that he would give rise to the 12 tribes, um, and really, it was more now im shav if not now when. Um, and this is some, this is a lesson that we can learn from Yaakov when when he comes and he demands his fiance from fiance from Lavan. One needs to know when one um, is obligated and needs to fulfill Hashem's commandments. And this brings up a a pretty, uh, maybe, maybe it's contentious. You can tell me if it's contentious idea. And this is, um, the whole idea of marriage and the idea that we see in the orthodox world that we do not, do not delay marriage, um, for extraneous reasons. And by this, I'm meaning today's prevalent secular attitude is that, you know, kids can wait to get married. Let them get a career, let them save money, let them get their apartment, let them see the world, let them find themselves, let them do all of those good and wonderful things, and then they can settle down. Now, we know that one of the mitzvot of the Torah is to to be fruitful and multiply, to get married. Um, and to to fulfill the commandment of having children. This also goes with the idea of having children. And so in the Orthodox world, this is not delayed for reasons of money, reasons of, um, of you know, let them see the world, let them find themselves, let them, God forbid, live together, all, all of these things that we, we give today uh, in the Orthodox world, I won't say children, young adults are married at a much younger age. The Talmud goes and says that 18, okay, that it's actually in, in Pirkei Avos, that Shmona Esrei Chupa, that at 18 one should go to the Chupa, one is ready to be married, 
Today's prevalent uh, thing is that 18 is still a little young, even though you do hear of that. Um, most people allow their children after school to go to yeshiva, to seminary, um, to solidify all that they have been taught. And then there is a concerted effort um, to move the process along and allow children to marry young. Now, while this is very contra- contraindicated and contraintuitive in the, the secular world, when one looks back and on many levels, one can see that there are a tremendous amount of benefits to this type of thinking. Amongst them is the following. Very interestingly, um, and this was just, uh, you know, I'm going to share some ideas. You're, you're most welcome to give your opinions, ask, or ask any questions on 34519 uh, or 061-895-1019. Um, there was one time that I happened to be at a, uh, at a doctor running the standard uh, mammograph test that women need to do. And the doctor was asking a tremendous amount of questions um, as to my medical history amongst them. When were you married? When did you have your first child? Did you breastfeed your children, et cetera, et cetera? And uh, I looked at him and I said to him, why all these questions? And this was a very, very well-known doctor in the community. Um, he passed away a little while ago. But he said to me he ran a study in his uh, practice, in his uh, radiography practice um, of women, um, and he saw that the younger a woman married and the quicker she had children, and in addition she breastfed, the healthier the woman was in years later, meaning that the incidence of breast cancer, autoimmune disease, and other uh, Things will uh, uh, was much less, and I said to him, "Why do you think that?" He said, "Because God created a woman such. God created that the woman's most, uh, the best years, the most reproductive years, and the healthiest years are between the ages of twenty and thirty. He says pushing to thirty-five, and that if a woman takes the, that time to use that which nature and which God has endowed her." Meaning to be a, to, to become a wife, be a mother, and use those years in the reproductive years. In fact, they, uh, they, it is of, of health benefit. That is one of the benefits. When we get back, I'll mention another one or two, and uh, then we'll wrap up for today. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. We have just a couple of minutes to finish up. And so what else are, um, are the benefits of getting married young? Well, I think that, that one, you know, one of the things that is brought in the secular world is let, let, you know, let, let people find out about different, different, different people and experience different things. I think that that is in fact destructive, um, to the human psyche. There is so much heartbreak and so much, um, pain that goes around breaking and unbreaking and doing all of these things, that it is far better to get married young and to get to know your partner for life. And in having said that, I think one of the other elements in the orthodox um, arena is that one does one's homework so that one does not allow uh, to, your children to go through the pain of these of, the, of heartbreak and of 
going up and down in relationships in that you actually go and see are, are they compatible. Um, there's two parts to compatibility. One is obviously common ideas and common outlook and a, a common way of living. And then obviously there is the much deeper part of attraction and, um, and personality. And certainly um, from an orthodox viewpoint, if you get at least the one element out of the way, then you allow nature to take its course and allow then the prospective um, spouses to find out if they are in fact uh, uh, compatible from, from, from a personality point of view. Uh, the proof of the pudding, the proof of the pudding is that in the orthodox world, there is far less Divorce, not saying that there isn't divorce, there is, um, and it is a very compli- complicated and complex subject, but overall the orthodox world does not have as much divorce as the secular world. Um, the family structures are far more in place. Children are brought up um, in, a, in, a, in a healthier environment. And so this entire idea um, of Yaakov wanting to marry Leah, I mean Rachel, and all the discussions that, that, that we have discussed today, last week, and we will be discussing um, next week on, um, are all pointers and ingredients that one needs to look at when one is looking to get married. And on that note, I wish you a wonderful week ahead, a warm week. Stay safe, stay sane, and uh, please, God, I will be back next week, same time, same place.